Not many websites have been around since the pre-Google, pre-social media days, but a number of them have managed to not only survive, but thrive. In fact, most of them have found a place in the digital multiverse and continue to shape the internet as we know it. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Sharath Cherian, the founder of Hip Hop DX, the internet's premier news and content site for one of music's biggest genres. As you can imagine, he has some great leadership stories and tips that stand the test of time, internet time. So whether you're a leader in the world of tech, or you're just interested in hearing about how you go from selling mixtapes to becoming one of the major influencers in hip-hop, this will be an enlightening leadership tale for you. We're here today with Sharath Cherian. He's the founder and CEO at HipHopDX. And HipHopDX is the world's biggest hip-hop news website, and they reach millions of readers every month. Good to have you here. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate that. So you started the website back in 1999, correct? July 19th. uh, Yeah, 99. What made you get into hip-hop? What was the driving force then? I was into hip-hop since I was a teenager or young teen. I I have a habit of trying to get into the business of the things that I like. And so within a couple of years of enjoying it, I was already like working for BMG Music, Street Team, Canada, and I was just promoting albums. Then I ended up, or actually before, slightly before that, I linked up with a DJ who had a little uh, mixtape distribution business up in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and I was selling 60 hip-hop and 60 R&B tapes every six weeks. So I'd already been in the hip-hop space for three years just doing stuff. And so when I stopped doing that work, and I don't think I was selling mixtapes at that point, I was trying to figure out how I'm going to get free CDs from the record label still. <laughs> uh, and then the web, the internet was sort of coming up and I was like, oh, if I just you know create a website and I write album reviews, they'll give me free CDs. And I wanted to pay for them. And my friends would do the album reviews and we'd do news. And so that's kind of really, you know, in a, in a weird way, it was, it was just like a hobby just to keep listening to music. I really didn't think, uh, there was a big picture there, but at the same time, I knew that in order to make it keep going, I had to, to generate some revenue. So, you know, we launched in 99 and right away that summer, I, I took a trip to Toronto to get the labels, Universal, Sony, at the time it was Virgin EMI uh, and BMG to like start buying ads on the website. Were you able to monetize it pretty quickly? I was. I mean, they they bought ads for a thousand, two thousand dollars every time they they bought ads. You know, it was Canadian, but it was it was hard to be consistent about it because I cared more about trying to build the site than I did about trying to bring revenue. So I just I was, I'm always like this. I'm always in this bad habit of trying to make it just enough money and not sort of pursue that uh, more. So it's just like make just make enough to keep it running, make enough to keep it running. You know. Yeah, I think that's like a tried and true tale from uh, many content creators out there. So looking back on the early days of creating the website and thinking about how you got into the market, how you started um, handling some of the challenges when you had little or no resources, is there a moment kind of early on where you had a defining leadership experience that was impactful and you remember? And Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest story was the first time that uh, you know, we talked about money a little bit earlier on and making just enough. I really remember a moment kind of 2004, three or four, no, even earlier than that, maybe it was 2002, where basically I revved up the business a little bit. I, I just got out of college. 
I thought to myself, all right, I can do this full time. And I, I got into a little bit of debt with credit cards and stuff like that, trying to rev it up. And we started mm-hmm. doing websites for other people. Uh, and that was a very interesting moment. But uh, it came down to this point where I like I had to let let my coder and my designer go in that summer and basically look at sort of everything I had at that point because it wasn't really working. It wasn't bringing in the revenue. So we were trying to do websites on the side at the same time we were trying to do the, the DX websites. In Canada, with summer jobs, you can pretty much pay for your, your college. But at the end of it, I just came out with with $20,000 in debt, which is compared to nothing like the, to what students come out with here. But I had to sort of look at it and I had to actually tell my writers who, who I were, was paying at the time for the little money we were making, I was paying them. I had to kind of tell them like, listen, I can't. I can't pay you guys for a while. I need to pay some of this this debt down. I need to figure some things out. I can accrue it. And when we we get some money, you know, I can pay you. I can't guarantee you it's going to happen. But I'm, you know, some people stuck with it and some people didn't. But it was one of those moments where, you know, I had to, the, the pressure of reality sort of was sinking in. I ended up getting a part-time job to just start paying things down. Um, had to get sort of a, a loan to consolidate some of the credit card debt. And that was like a, a very like stressful year where after that, I never got into debt again where I really felt like things weren't going to work the way I needed them to. But I, I think what, in terms of leadership, like what was really great was I was able to talk to people and I was able to get them their money. Like what ended up happening was a year down the road, we started making money on the site again so I can just sort of pay back everything that they awesome. contributed. So yeah. it was really kind of positive. And it sort of started getting me into that understanding of all, who do I want to be when it comes to money and after that, I never really got into debt again, but in Metro, I paid all my bills. You know, I have a joke. I'm kind of like a Lannister. I always pay my debts. Um, and that was sort of that experience where I don't want that to be something that is ever a hang up, you know? Yeah. Do, do you feel like the fact that you were able to come back and meet them on that and be a Lannister in that situation, <clears throat> that led to people really believing in you for longer term? Did you have some of those people stick with you for a while? Oh, for sure. I mean, a couple of them ended up becoming like full-time employees once we got past that hump and and money started coming in probably around 2004, you know, a couple of them did sort of become full-time, you know, before it was for fun. And it was like the, the chance that the next generation could get into hip hop, which they necessarily couldn't because they weren't in New York or Chicago or, or LA, and, but they got them a chance to be part of it and part of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. I also noticed that with a lot of startups, they're able in the early days, build a lot of employee capital on passion. And then there is a shift where it isn't just about passion, but it's about, is this a real business or not? And that shift can be a hard leadership shift for a lot of newer entrepreneurs who haven't been in the space before. So it's an interesting shift for people to have to move past. That's when I saw eyes glaze over when I started getting more into like, okay, well, we have to make this a business. Do we want this to be something bigger? And how does it influence the music? And how does it, you know, how do we be more part of the culture? And when I came out to start introducing those, you could definitely see eyes glazing over. Like, what <laughs> yeah. is this business book? Or what's this, you yeah. know, why are we doing this? Like, who cares about our core values? Like all those things became really weird. But so, so there was definitely some people who started like, they started pseudo buying into it. Because at the end of the day, all those core values and the vision and all that stuff, it set you up your goals for the year. Uh, but then you saw, we saw rapid growth when we really started talking about our goals and like what we were trying to achieve, what we were trying to, to build. So Leadership in tech almost always requires the durability to survive the initial years when you're trying to build an audience. Not only does a leader have to figure out how to create a technical solution, but they have to discover the team that can help bring that product to life. 
One thing I noticed when I was talking to Sharath was his calm, consistent demeanor. After decades of running the website, it's understandable how that developed. But in those early days, decisions come fast and furious, and you have to be able to maneuver the unexpected. As you mature, however, the game changes. So that happened a while ago. Is there a more recent thing that speaks to you in a different style of leadership? I mean, we, we've had some exciting things obviously happen over the years. One of the most exciting ones is more recently in 2016, we ran our first event that became like a series and it was called DX Turbo. And it was a gaming event where we were doing it with Street Fighter Five. Uh, so we teamed up with Capcom and we teamed up with Twitch and we threw a really cool event where we brought these rappers and gamers together. And it was a tournament style. We really learned a lot. We were able to team up with a guy named Alex Valle, who is one of the best Street Fighter players in the world, uh, the arcade version when we were younger. But now he runs Wednesday Night Fight Nights in Orange County, and he, and he streams it on Twitch, and they, they do an amazing job. And I was able to team up with him, and he had so many authentic connections in the space. Like, instead of us going out and trying to, like, you know, buy influencers, these are these were the people mm-hmm. who really were the best Street Fighter players in the world, or in America at least. And we had them team up with these rappers, and awesome. we had these competitions where it was like a rapper and a gamer versus another rapper and a gamer. The rappers would face off against each other on the team. Uh, the rapper, one of them would lose. He'd have to face off against the gamer on the other team. Of course, the other rapper would lose, and then it'd be gamer on gamer, and then that team would go to the next stage. And it was like you had two chances of elimination, and it was eight teams. And so it was a, it was a nice, fun event. It was a private event, but we'd stream the whole thing and have like mm-hmm. you have one person who's more the hip hop guy, one person who's more the the gamer guy as the announcers, and just kind of chat and have fun. And uh, it was a cool event that we ran actually the weekend after E3 during BT weekend. Um, just because there's a lot of artists and people in town. So it gave us access to these people. Um, so it was just cool all around. It was a very fun, exciting atmosphere. Uh, we did it three years in a row. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we weren't able to do it last year. Uh, but, you know, there was Street Fighter the first year. The second year, we did it with NBA. Uh, it was like an NBA Jams type game. Uh, NBA mm-hmm. Playgrounds was called. And in the, the year after that, it was Tekken. Um, oh yeah, new yeah. Of Tekken. So it was. It's it's been fun. We 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 figured out that the fighting game is create the most excitement versus like a um, uh, sports game or like something. a Halo. A Halo. Yeah, yeah sports games are hard because you just get the gamer becomes too dominant in it. Um, as well as uh, you know the, the shooter games. Um, it's just it's it becomes a lot more boring. And so it it's really about authentic experiences for us. It's really about like the fact that we had the best gamers there and we had these rappers and we brought them together so that the rappers weren't teamed up with just like just some just a person who sort of it's like a like sometimes the influencers the the twitch personalities aren't necessarily the best players right they're they're more entertainers so it, it was really good to be as authentic with like people who really knew the game down to the, the pixel that's amazing what did it uh take to merge those two worlds together were there any challenges of bringing kind of related but dis kind of disparate worlds and and the gamers and the hip hoppers, what was that experience like? Yeah, I think the challenge is really like, well, what is this? What's going on with it? How is it going to work? Um, you know, finding the right venue where you felt like people were there to have fun and th- but things were still connected in the same way. Mm-hmm. That, that Making sure the Twitch stream worked, like realizing like, oh, this type of tournament takes way too long. Let's not do that again. Because that was like eight yeah. hours, like six, seven hours versus three hours, you know? So it's definitely challenges, but like with each iteration, it keeps getting better and, and a little cooler. Uh, you know, we thoroughly enjoy it. 
Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I found about leadership over the course of time is really enjoying the iteration process and getting to a better solution or finding these magical little spots that you get to try something new and riff off of, but really having iteration be a kind of center point of that guidance. So many companies talk about using iteration, but it's a scary spot when managing a business. There's a sense of faith you have to inject into the process And sometimes in R&D environments, having that faith can feel more risky than it's ultimately worth. I watch leader after leader quietly calculate the ROI on risking true iteration versus fully pre-envisioning a project and holding teams accountable to a specific timeline and budget. The irony is that iteration guides you to the right product market fit. So it usually saves them time and money. But the unknown can be a scary place for investors, managers, and even the leaders attempting to wield its power. Because this website's journey began so early in the internet's life cycle, I think Sharath has shown how using it effectively can yield longevity and impact. All right, welcome back. We are now going to talk about some tips that Sharath has around leadership and hear a little bit about some spots that he has been thinking about over the course of time. And maybe we'll start running down each of these points. We could talk a little bit about them and go into a little bit about what you mean. So point number one, do you, do you want to share that? Yeah. And understanding who you are, I think this is like incredibly important. It takes time. Like, I don't think you know that when you're younger, but around 25 to 30 is kind of these moments in time where you're looking back at all your past experiences and really feeling like, what do you enjoy? What do you like to to do. I like to compare it with a thing called Manslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if every need, like your food is provided, you're, you can sleep okay. You know, you're not worried about your security. If all that is goes away, what do you want to do at the end of the day? Or who are you? So like, what do you get up really happy to provide or, or create or, or however, and you got to do it in like a quiet space. And it really doesn't take a lot of time. I would say maybe 20 minutes, but it, it really just you thinking about your life and and what you want to create and and I've done it many t- I've done it many times and revisited that concept and for me it's to create create incredible experience for people like even if I want to have people stay at my house I want to make sure things are clean and things they have a nice towels and they have nice you know shampoo like I, and that's how I even actually brought it down to the most fundamental level of like who I was was thinking about like well all right I'm just having friends over what do I want to do how do I want to set yeah. it up? You know, right. I want to make it look nice. And that figures out who you are at, at that level because it's around friends, it's about safety, it's around things like that. And then you can take that and be like, all right, well, how do I envision that into a business or as a leader? How do I make that something? Yeah. And it's a really foundational element. Like once you have the foundation, you can really grow from it and, and expand out. I thought it was interesting that you brought up, even when you have friends come over, it's important for you to like feel like the place is organized and it's clean and it's a nice experience for them, right? And you host millions of people every month in this environment where they come and engage with one of their favorite things. What about number two? Yeah. What's the next one? Well, once you do understand who you are, you, you from there, you want, as a leader, you want to create a vision, uh, especially if you're running an organization or a group. Uh, I think the first thing, understanding who you are, de- develops what your purpose is, something you don't really necessarily achieve, but you it's like your North Star, like you're always walking towards that. Like, 
you're never really going to achieve an incredible content experience, but you can strive for that. But then from there, a vision has other elements that's really important, like, okay, well, what's your mission? And a mission's like a, you know, five to 25 year goal that you want to achieve. So it could be short, it could be long, but there, there is an end point to that, you know? And then from there, you got, you, you got to create your core values. Like what's really important to you? You know, what defines you? I know for me, simplicity is an important core value to me is trying to make things simple, even though mm-hmm. I have a habit of sometimes making things a little harder. <laughs> That's a huge core value. Making sure that, you know, dollars make sense, making sure that things are revenue generating or the potential for revenue generating. So those are those are definitely the, the things. And, and you know, don't get too crazy with the core values. Like after five, it gets gets a little much. But these these are things that you want to not only know about yourself, but bring into you, your business. Yep. Makes sense. Is there a, any special way you like to kind of get back in touch with your vision? Yeah. We actually do a thing called cherry camp once a year okay. where it's like a camp mm-hmm. where we come in and really just establish what do we want to do for next year? So at that point, you're rehashing the core values, talking about them again, talking about the vision, what we're here to do, what we're trying to achieve. And then you start, and as you're creating the goals for next year as a team and as a group, that's what's happening. You kind of give people a space to let that stuff come out and, and be able to share with each other, like having a, a breakout camp like that, right? Exactly. You know, and also yeah. a chance not to be, you know, on the day to day the same way. Yeah, totally. Awesome. All right. Number three, what's the number three for you? I think it's still one of the funniest things. And I joke about in business. Like sometimes I say like, listen, yes, you have to be intelligent. You have to be smart. But, but if you can get that level, the next thing of like really building a business is showing up to the party, mm-hmm. but it's really perseverance. Mm-hmm. It's really the idea that you're going to be there through thick and thin. And yes, you're going to get beat up and yes, things are going to happen, but you're going to keep getting back up and trying something new, trying something again. And I like time and time again, that, that perseverance or that, you know, you're showing up to the party thing is, is kind of this, way of really building your business, you know, and delivering, obviously, like it's, it's, it's not just about showing up, but it, it's, it's about being there and being there with the right time, like spending two hours a day on something. Yeah. You're going to get decent at something, but that's not going to make you an expert. Or that's not going to make you understand like fine tunings of things. Like you got to be spending eight to 10 hours a day getting better and better at something. And if for me, if it's getting hip hop DX better for other people, it's like a sport. Or, or a topic of education that they're, you know, going down a rabbit hole on YouTube and on, on reading articles on the web. I mean, that's, that's what it is, but it is that like super dedication to something. Yep. And showing yeah, up. I love that. Showing up to the party. I love that. Awesome. What about number four? Uh, so it's ed- educate from a place of research and experience. You know, when you're younger, it's, it's just like, I, I get really tired of pe- people even reading up about the topic. I want to know your reasoning on how you developed that idea because I want to know that you factored in situations or that you thought of ways that things could uh, go wrong or go right and how that's going to play itself out because you know th- a lot of it is going to go right and a lot is going to go wrong. So you got to right. be able to at least thought of a way of getting out of the original five to 10 problems. Have you developed mm-hmm. the idea far enough that or that concept uh, when you're educating someone, you know, that, that actually takes you to a level that's different, you know, that's going to change something. So that's not coming completely from like a gut, like it, that's when it really bothers me when people have opinions about things and then they, you could start telling pretty quickly that it's not really based on experience uh, or even research because the research will at least define your thoughts. Yep. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. There's a breadth of insight that 
comes from within all that research that's really hard to get if you're just trying to do it off the cuff. So that's a great one. All right, last one, number five. What is it? So it's understanding what you're not. You know, we started with understanding who you are. I think it's really important to make a list kind of as you go on with your life of what you don't want to do or what you're not good at, what doesn't excite you and see if you can, you know, as a leader, like it's it's okay to say like, I don't know something or that's just not the best, you know, thing for me to focus on because you don't want your energy going to something that isn't something that excites you. It's, it's not going to help the people around you. And honestly, a lot more businesses die of indigestion of ideas, you know, but it's all about execution and knowing when to say no to things. If you understand what you don't like to do or uh, what you're not good at, then I think you're going to go a lot farther and it's going to help people understand what they need to focus on. Amazing. Yeah. I find that the no's are as powerful as the yeses in being a leader. So tapping into that's uh, a pretty powerful thing. All right, Sharath, thank you. It was a, a really great to connect with you today. I appreciate all the insight, sharing about your experiences, sharing some awesome tips for people to dig into. You've built a such a great website for people to engage with over the course of a lot of years. And uh, congratulations on that. It's amazing. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having me. 